And we're back. Wow, nice way to start. Like Very that? energized. Well, a great friend of ours told me that we need to show more enthusiasm. Oh wow! This is what I, this have is we not been enthusiastic enough? Well, I've been bloody enthusiastic, but apparently it's not translating enough. Is that the word? I, yeah. Okay. All right. So let's get up and about. Let's let's get more excited about sitting next to each other again for the ninth week in a row. Yes, in an empty factory in your office, uh, with no backdrop. Actually, there are, there's a couple of race cars sitting down there, so that's quite exciting. But to be honest, I just feel like it's a bit of a tease seeing those race cars down there, uh, and they haven't been started in what two and a half months now. Unfortunately, we are still parked up, and that is what this podcast is called. And Tony D, it's great that you are joining us once again. So it looks like there is some light at the end of the tunnel. We're starting to see a calendar now for supercars, which is about to come out. The Australian Racing Group isn't too far away from confirming when we're going to see your TCR Honda out on the on the circuit again. For for many weeks, we saw just chat about online racing, e-series, e-sport cups and all those cool things that we've kind of done over the last little bit all come about because of this damn virus. But we're starting to see some action happening and I don't think it's going to be too long until we've got some race cars on the track. I don't think so, but I've only just got my sim up and running and uh, going and I had my best result at Oran Park last week, mate. So what you're saying is you don't want real racing no, to come back? I think I'm good now. I think I, I'm all good. I'm just starting to get my eye in a little bit in this online world. So you qualified in about 15th, 16th? No, yeah, where no, did no, you? I did, yeah. So I, the week before, yeah, I was you were like no 24th. Nowhere. No, no. Well, the week before that was like 40th. So we're making progress here. Great. Right, so we're certainly not there, but... Like, you know, seeing calendars come out and, you know, people talking about going racing, there is light there. You know, <laughs> I'm not going backwards just yet, but I've managed to get my first top 10. It was a reverse top 20, but I did, I, I wasn't in that reverse top 20. So I started 24th in that race. So yeah, I was a bit, I was a bit happy with that, but I got my SimWorks pedals. Yep. And we had the SimWorks guys on the show last week. And I finally got my pedals and I absolutely love them and they've made a huge difference to yeah. the sim. So tell me, what's the big difference that you feel? It's just more realistic. It's simply like I'm driving the race cars with the same feel. And that's what I was sort of looking for. You know, the pedals that I had before were almost 20 years old and I just couldn't relate to them enough. I couldn't feel how much brake pressure I needed to use. Uh, whereas these ones, they're actually, you know, like a, like a proper race car set of pedals so really really high tech and uh, they've done a fantastic job and feeling much more at home with us still got a bit of fine tuning but uh, i enjoyed the racing a lot more how was the broadcast broadcast was good oran park awesome track mm. and uh, the guys at sim speed who help us put the broadcast together they do they do a, a really good job and i feel like there's all a all no all the i instructed them to do for qualifying was just jump on board and just show us a lap of the of the track yeah just watching cars go back around there even though it's the virtual world just watching cars drive around that famous 
southwestern Sydney layout was was awesome. I made them do it like three or four times. We yep. just jumped on the roof of a car and just went went around the track. Oh, I don't think we went on. No, good. No, no. Um, no, we wanted to go. We picked center. the front runners. We wanted to show the fast <laughs> way around the track. But it was cool to revisit southwestern Sydney's I Oran Park. Um, I grew up uh, only just around the corner in mm. Campbelltown. It mm-hmm. was my local racetrack and somewhere where I did a lot of go-karting, somewhere where I saw a lot of Australian touring car racing, uh, NASCARs, Super Tourers, you know, uh, so not, not every track, me- though, not every meeting. part of the actual car racing track. That's though, right. Did it? you ever race? On- I did. Yep. I did. I did a couple of races there and I remember... I made a little mistake on circuit. I ended up on the full-blown racetrack and Whoops. didn't know where to go to rejoin because it's quite tricky. You know, yeah. There's a lot of different layouts that you could sort of go down. But, yeah, I think I did the Nationals one year. Um, I remember watching Caruso back in his heyday in the Tony Kart going really well. I think he won that, that day. So fond memories. And what I loved about driving the TCR car or the touring car around the um, – around Oran Park was it felt exactly the same as it did when we raced there in real cars like they've really done a great job at um, replicating the circuit all the bumps and the characteristics of the circuit really came through and the thing that amazes me is like how they put that on a computer screen you know like you had to still drive the car the same way that you did in the real world. So the same traits or your driving style, how you had to be really patient and focus on certain areas, it all translated really well in the online world. And I just, I mean, they're obviously a lot smarter than I am, but it's incredible how they've actually done that. So well done to iRacing. They've done an excellent job with that particular circuit. It'd be good to see them do maybe a few other circuits yeah, in Australia. Yeah, for sure. I tell, what I really like is all the signage is still mm. there, the scrapes on the wall, uh, you know, really cool, and just adds to the adds to the feel, adds to the flavour, to the nostalgia of the place. You're right about doing other circuits before you know maybe they they disappear. It'd be great to do a track like Lakeside. I think oh, yeah. would be amazing. I don't think Lakeside is disappearing anytime soon, but we're certainly not going to get to race. TCR Australia series or Trans Am cars mm. around there, we'd all love to do it. And I, I think if we put a survey out to any TCR Australia team or driver, would you like to go and race at Lakeside? Okay. Everyone's hand would be up straight away. So unfortunately, just the, um, the safety standards there and the investment that, that they're putting in is is perfectly fine for what they use it for with, I think they do driver training, maybe some experience yeah. laps, but, yeah. but not competition. So it would be good, even in the virtual world, to compete, compete around mm-hmm. there. Lakeside is a, another one of those cool, historic, legendary circuits mm-hmm. that, that would be great to compete on in the virtual world. Actually, I'll tell you, they should also do... Uh, anytime one of these new street races pop up, mm. I think the Newcastle track yeah. is great. Have you have you raced at no, Newcastle? No, no. I reckon that that looks that looks great. It's, it looks hard to pass. Mm. It's not going to be around forever. Mm. It's not going to be. Yeah, they might do five, six years, whatever it is. That's that's right. Like a Homebush, uh, you know, even Hamilton. Remember they did a street circuit that, in that's New right. Zealand. Yep. 
Uh, I, I agree. I know what you're saying. Like to replicate that now, so we can memory. We, we've got in our memory for many years to come. Yep. So yeah, the only way to go to Oran Park and actually experience that track is to do it on iRacing. There mm. is no other way to do it. Even when you go to Oran Park Town now, there is not one bit of that natural amphitheatre that they built that track around. You you can't go and do it. I think you can drive down what they call Oran Park Road, which is the old main straight but there is basically nothing there no. other than some plaques and some street signs yeah um it's, it's just housing now it's housing uh, it's shops it's yeah there's street it. signs you can go on johnson road and yep. moffat lane or whatever they call yeah. it and i don't think they've got a delberto street though. no not yet not That's, yet but maybe after my performance the other night in the car sales arg esport cup maybe mate maybe it's coming our good friend, though, and I did mention it last week, Timmy Brook, he lives at Oran Park. So his house is there, that, and that's basically why the circuit's not there anymore. Not because his house is that big, <laughs> um, but no, there's housing being put up, and he's he lives uh, smack bang in the middle. Now, he was like P3 in practice, and uh, I was like, man, he's got some home track knowledge here. But then he stuffed up in qualities, so I gave him a bit of shit last oh, night. Too much pressure. Pressure in front of the home crowd. That's it. That's it. Now, I did want to ask you a question, though, and just get your thoughts on it. Did the pit stop in race one provide entertainment that we were looking for? It's, you know, the reason why we brought the pit stop into the first race was we knew that there would be a lot of carnage and anyone watching the broadcast would have seen a lot of flickering cars, particularly mm. on that first lap. Now, the damage model, apparently, on the Audi Touring car in iRacing can't handle excessive crashing and fenders falling off and wheels spitting out, and that's why you see a lot of that flickering. It's, it's right. probably also got a little bit to do with Australia's um, piss-poor internet, <laughs> but the damage model on that car can't handle excessive shunting so frustratingly for the first lap you saw a lot of uh flickering mm. and bits and pieces does it affect the racing at all i had a couple of cars in front of me that were flickering uh but to be honest it was pretty good from the driver's point of view like i said there was a couple of cars that was it that's all i saw but i did have a bit of feedback today that when people were watching the broadcast last week they saw that yeah there was quite a bit of flickering yep. early on the race but they said once the race settled Yep. then it all went away once all you turkeys um, <laughs> got like racing properly then it was fine now the reason why we had the pit stop was knowing that that circuit is so tight mm. and so damage prone particularly when there's 45 of you all trying to squeeze into turn one at the same time yep. there was going to be damage you can take you could take one of your pit stops to repair the car without doing one of those toe backs and yep. and whatever it could potentially have kept you in the race so that was why we we brought that to, to so that a race didn't get ruined because of the fact that it was going likely to turn into a parking lot down at turn one and two now i believe though it became a bit of a parking lot at the end of the race because a few drivers decided to push the limits on fuel and a few yeah. didn't actually make it to the end. So, so James Golding was one in the first race. Chelsea, Chelsea was another. She was on for third. Yeah, 
yeah, and she finished was, fifth. She was going really, really good. The early part of the race was behind me and she was coming. So I pitted before she got to me because I didn't want the embarrassment of getting passed by Chels. The, nothing, <laughs> nothing, you know, I just would have copped it from the boys getting passed by a girl, you know. Uh, It'd be like that. No, she was going really good. She did extremely well. It, it sort of did bring another element into it. And, you know, for those that wanted to risk it a little bit and take on a little bit less fuel, you know, to get a gain in position, you know, they might get a result, but unfortunately it didn't work for them. For me personally, I don't know what happened in the pit stop, mate. I, I need a bit more tuition on this pit stop stuff because I... You haven't got the hack worked out. I mustn't have the hack worked out because I stopped... And you know what I think I, I didn't un... Because you've got to unclick a few things. So you've you got to tell it how much fuel to put in. Unclick, you don't want tyres during the stop. But the one thing that I think I forgot was damage. So... Yeah, you need to fix that up. Yeah, if you click damage off, I think it is. So it doesn't... Like when you're out there, you've still got damage working. But when you come in, it does a really quick stop. And it basically just resets the car and away it goes. But the way it did for me was it started to repair everything you know, slowly like it would in a normal pit stop. So I just sat there for ages. So I come in in 15th and I went back out in 37th. And I thought at the time, oh, there must be heaps of people that haven't pitted yet. This would all shake out. No, I didn't shake out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, not to worry. It was was good that we saw you qualify quite well. Yep. Uh, Now we're off to Silverstone in Mm. F3 cars next week. We'll see how you go in the open wheeler. I'm going to have to put some serious hours in. I don't know the circuit, not very good in those F3 cars, so who knows? But these pedals, they might just, you know, drive it itself. Who knows? Anyway. If they can do my dishes as well, if they're that good and they can do my dishes, that would be great. Thank you to SimWorks for those pedals. I really do appreciate them. Onto the show. Let's get onto the show because three awesome guests. Last week, though. It was so massive. It was epic. It was like an hour forty-five. I still haven't actually got through it. We're gonna send people. <laughs> we're gonna send people like cash and prizes if you got all the way through that show. Actually, you know, look, last week's show was really good. Going through and fixing it up and get and publishing it. It took like four hours to um, mm. upload the file to get it on. But yeah, I I thought it was uh, really good. And thanks for some some really nice uh, nice feedback. Even uh, in in different feedback, you know, just uh, what you'd said at the top of the show about someone saying you guys need to be a little bit more energized we we uh we do appreciate all and any feedback so grant we've got some awesome guests today yeah uh three of the greats runners through our lineup yep so first we're going to give glenn seaton two-time australian touring car champion 2007 uh, dvs champion too well that's right sort of. He actually, uh, t- <laughs> Glenn, for many of you may not know that Glenn was engineering TD during his development series championship winning year back in 2007. So I think he's probably got a lot more championships to his name that he's been involved in, not just from a driver's point of view. Yeah, p- post his racing career, he's uh, really become that uh, go-to guy for a lot of people from right at the top level in mm. supercars, even doing some speedway and and other other stuff. He's also got, obviously, a major interest now with his son, Aaron Seaton, competing in the National Trans Am series. He, he, Aaron does extremely well, chip off the old block. Uh, and Glenn's been around this industry for a long time. So I guess we're kind of interested to hear what he his thoughts are on, on the current situation and, and where the sport might be positioned. So he's our first. Yep. I'm telling you, we are calling him first. The second person we're going to call 
is Jason Barguana, another guy that you've had some time sharing the seat with. I know, I know. It's like Tony's co-driver um, edition. Yeah, I've spent a bit of time with, with Jace and uh, great to have him on the show today. Obviously uh, in TCR this year in the Peugeot with Burston sponsorship. So great to see him coming back into you know professional uh, motorsport again. Because yeah, he hasn't, he done, hasn't it done it for a while. Yeah. For a few years. And, you know, the hunger is definitely still there for Jace. I, I don't, he's like a bull terrier. Like he's never, ever going to back away from motorsport. But he's sharing it with his son, Ben. So, you know, they were lining up to do the, the Bathurst uh, event later in the year. And, you know, potentially for Ben to move into the champ, TCR Championship next year, all being he's, he's ready to go. He's only 19 years old, so he's still doing formal forward. Um, still learning quite a few things. Uh, and, and to have Jace, you know, as, as his mentor and dad and coach and all those sort of things, he's got a fairly big leg up there on some of the other kids that he's racing against. So... It will be good to catch up um, with Jason and see what he's up to, you know, because he's not full-time racing anymore. He's got a, his own business. See how he's traveling during this time. Great. So two legends mm. of the circuit, Seton and Barguana. They're going to join us very shortly. And we also spoke to a legend from off the track, another one of our journo friends. We spoke to Brett Crusher-Murray last week, this week, today, you're going to hear from Mark Fogarty, Auto Action legend. Never heard of him. Auto Action, <laughs> currently writing for Auto Action. He's uh, written for the big publications in, in Australia, Fairfax Media, for, for many, many years. Uh, he's been on radio. He's done TV slots. He's been involved in the sport for many, many, many years. He's interviewed all of the big stars and today we are going to interview him and ask him a bit of hard questions. Look, Fogues is, uh, Fogues is one of the absolute greats, an institution in the pit lane, just himself. Personally, having grown up loving motorsport, I used to read his stuff all the time as a, as a teenager. Uh, and when I first joined the sport, I actually was very, very, very intimidated by Fogues mm. because I had a, a lot of respect for him. Now we get along uh, absolutely fine. It did, it did actually take me a couple of years to uh, really start to talk to him. He's uh, he's, he's very tall. He's a very tall man. Yeah. I won't say that he's handsome. He'll um, get an extremely large head. But uh, he's um, one one of the uh, one of the best to hang around with at the racetracks. And haven't seen him for a couple of months, so it will be nice to catch up with him a little later on. Have you ever copped a Fogues grilling um, no. over the times? No, I'm not a uh, big enough starter to cop one of his grillings, but he's a bit of t- intimidating, I reckon. You know, yeah. you can you get that sense. Or maybe I'm, maybe he's just a bit uh, misunderstood. But before no, we, he's an old school. He's just that old school journo. He, he'll yeah. he'll say it as he see it. He'll report news whether the people want the news out there or not. That's that's his gig, and and that's what he is best known mm. for. So uh, yeah, can't wait to talk to him. Before we actually get going, though, I just wanted to thank all our guests that come on the show because they don't have to take our call, right? No, and not really. Sometimes. No. Well, are we paying these people? We're no, not paying them? Not paying them. Okay. No. Uh, are we a multi-million dollar podcast? Not, not yet. Not yet. So they're doing it out of, uh, you know, being the friendship that we've had with them. So it's really kind of them to give us their time. And uh, we do really appreciate it because we're trying to give people entertainment during this time 
and uh, it's good to get the the lineup that we've been able to achieve. So thank you to everybody that's come on board. Let's get on with our show though, Grant. Okay. Glenn Seaton, two-time Australian touring car champion. He never won the Bathurst 1000. It actually brought a little tear to my Don't remind him. No, we won't talk about that. We've got heaps to talk about. So let's go. Glenn Seaton, pressing the buttons. And our first guest on episode nine of Parked Up is the great man, two-time Australian touring car champion, Glenn Seaton. Glenn, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Grant. Good to be uh, part of it. Hello, Tony. How are you, mate? I'm well, thank you. Uh, That's good. Yeah, I'm surviving. How are you surviving, mate? Yeah, not too bad. I sort of um, it's not too bad up here because you, I've sort of got an acre, so there's a fair bit of work and all that sort of stuff. But I've had a bit of work to do um, to catch up on really um, since the. The time's been off, so it's been good. It's just sort of starting to come quiet now, which is the opening up time, which is great. No race cars for quite some time. Uh, how mm. how have you kept busy? Uh, and uh, what's your thoughts on the current situation the world faces? Yeah, pretty pretty sad, really, isn't it? When, when we see um, so many people getting or dying overseas, um, got such low numbers here, which is fantastic, and everyone seems to be doing the right thing. So... Uh, but it's hard for uh, us motor racers that we would like to race every weekend as much as we can and to be off for sort of four or five years, six months. Um, is uh, You need that adrenaline fix sometimes. We're missing it all. So I see all you guys are having a go on these uh, eSports games and uh, it's something I was never any good at, that's for sure, whenever I've tried it. So uh, yeah, I think uh, everyone's doing a great job and it's been quite entertaining, really yeah. entertaining. I'll tell you the good thing out of it is you can crash a car and just uh, come back in, push the button again and go again. I reckon that's a great idea. That's an excellent idea, especially good for. Uh, uh, I know my dad would be very happy about that, and uh, you too with uh, with Aaron absolutely. racing as well. <laughs> you can have a big yeah, crack absolutely. and tear a wheel off, and go. No, that didn't work. I'll uh, break yeah. a bit earlier next time. Yeah, absolutely. At least you can uh, test the boundaries in that sort of game without uh, doing any damage, which is um, a great concept. But uh, yeah, now we all naturally want to do the real thing now because you just don't get the feel and the seat of the pants thing that you do out of a out of a real race car and um, and the technical stuff as well. Being able to try and change stuff and run around a racetrack and come in, change things and go again and all that sort of stuff is um, is is the great thing on real circuit racing. You've been involved in the industry for a long, long mm. time. You've mm. seen the sport go through highs. You've seen the sport go through mm. lows. Uh, it's mm. uncharted territory that we're about to go through now. Mm. What do you think the industry is going to look like coming out on the other side of this? How much pain do you think there might be? I think uh, there's going to be a huge amount of pain, to be honest. Um, we all can't go through a situation where um, we We've uh, lost so much revenue for every, every single company, every single person is going to lose revenue out of this. And then revenue is what makes you go and do your uh, hobbies, your sports, your profession. And um, that's motorsport as well. So I think there's going to be uh, a pretty surprising lot of pain out of all this. Um, it might shake a few things out that uh, probably where sport, sometimes motorsport can get a bit out of control with the cost side of um of certain like race cars and things like that that uh, are built to a spec and they start to get sort of once the rules start evolving over the years they just get more and more expensive so as all this can do is probably hopefully make everybody sit back and go well uh, our cars are too dear it is too expensive to do motorsport and what's a cheaper way to do it which i'm I'm really glad we're involved with ta2 or or, or, sorry trans am um 
because um, they're a really cost-effective, great uh, category, and and uh, that category should easily survive out the uh, other side of this. It, that's exactly what we want to talk to to you about about how mm. cost affordable uh, the Trans Am mm. Championship is. We actually had George Mediki on our uh, show last week, oh, yeah, great. and he spoke a little bit about you know the tire situation, uh, you know, and the, and the cost containment, I guess, um, and yep. still being able to enjoy a big V8, you know, moving around, uh, showing a lot of attitude on the circuit, giving the fans basically what they want, but Absolutely. doing it at a really uh, cost affordable way. Uh, we all know that's probably the biggest hurdle in motorsport. You're going along with the journey uh, with Aaron. He obviously won the championship mm. last year in pretty spectacular mm. style. A um, mm. couple of little questions. Were you really nervous that last round? I mean, being, being <laughs> uh, you know, his dad and trying to, uh, you, you're sort of on the side of engineering the car. Um, mm. And to go through that where it almost didn't happen, but he pulled it off mm-hmm. in the end, it would have been a proud moment. Oh, I'm blue the crowd and the work that we've both put in to get to that point. But, uh, yeah, it was a nervous day because I sort of told him that before that weekend, mate, we only got to finish, I think it was 12th in every race to win the championship. And as Aaron is, he just wanted to win every race. And uh, mm-hmm. I probably put him in a vulnerable spot, to be honest, to have what happened, which was his own fault. At the end of the day, he's got up at a bit early on cold tyres through turn one and it got away on him. And right. it hasn't done that all year. And, uh and uh, it really, to happen at that last round, I was heart in the mouth. And I looked at the car when it got back from off the track over to the scrutineering area, and I thought, it's over. We're just not going to repair that. But mm. once you start to get to the bottom edge of these things and pull a few uh, panels off them, it's amazing how well-built and how structured they are that you can repair them so easily um, and have such a big incident, and, and yet, it's all just panel work and a, and a couple of frames on the front that hold the bubble bar on and a, and a radiator and an oil cooler. They were, the, they were the only things we had to change to get it up and running the next day. So um, that's the style of thing that the, the sport needs is something that's actually very cost-effective to repair if you do have an incident like that. But not only that, it's very easy to fix in, in such a short amount of time to sort of go back out there again. So uh, have you actually driven the Trans Am car? I mean, you're engineering it. Have you had a drive just to feel what it's like or you just fully trust what Aaron's saying? Yeah, no, I, I haven't driven one. Um, and I sort of, I suppose, Tony, over the last two, three or four years, I've, I don't really want to hop in race cars anymore. I've just sort of got to that point in your life where you go, I don't actually dr- enjoy driving them around. Um, mm-hmm. And there will be a point when you get to that age yourself and you'll go, I don't actually enjoy get the enjoyment I used to get out of it. So, no, I haven't driven one. Um, I do go off uh, exactly whatever Aaron tells me and, and visually watch from the outside. Like, mm-hmm. I've been involved in a lot of disciplines of motorsport and right up to even Speedway in the last 10 years. And, and I'll tell you what, what you can learn from just watching them from the outside um, to what the driver says, you can put the two and two together and you can tell if, oh, no, that's not quite what it's doing or, or yeah, he's right and we'll just fix those problems. But... Aaron's very good at feedback to me. Um, he tells me exactly what he wants. So I continually push him of what do we need to get, what do we need to change to go faster, what do we need to go change to go faster, regardless if we're a long way ahead. Um, I'm always telling him to what what can we do to go quicker, mate? What can we do? What is it more front? Is it more rear? Is what's this or the gearing's better or blah blah blah? So yeah, it's it's constantly just pushing those sort of um, questions all all the time to him and, and watching it from the outside a bit and also giving his feedback because he does give me good feedback and 
over the time that we've spent together, which is hell of a lot of years now, from go-karts at seven mm. right through until now of, of going racing together with each other, you actually can understand exactly what he's saying and what he's wanting um, through all those years of being together. It's like, it's like any good race team. It's got an engineer and driver together for many, many years, mm. um, and they're a successful combination. It's easy to read each other. Um, and as you, you've sort of known through your career, Tony, that you would have picked up that. You just click with some people and it just works. Yeah. Um, and they can read you and you can read them. And, and that's the good thing about uh, Aaron and I is um, we just get to uh, bounce things off each other. And, uh, and I make decisions technically because I, I suppose the experience I've had for so many years. And I've been very lucky. I've come through an era of motorsport where it wasn't engineering um it was basically build the cars yourself and go racing and and the drivers changes and feedback to their crew or or even doing yourself like in my days i used to do it myself up out the car fire another spring in it hop in and go again mm. so i'd come through that time when you actually learn what changes actually do to what feel you get out of the car so i've been lucky that way to be able to go through that time and then uh, be able to help Aaron through his stuff and teach him the same things of, um, okay, this is what this does, mate. This is what that does. This is what this does. What do you need from the car? We'll change this because it'll do this. Um, so there, there is a benefit there. There's no doubt with all that. Is there something in particular that Aaron needs from the car? For me personally, I don't like a car that's taily, you know, so I sort of always be, I'm always tuning the car to, to not have that trait. Is there something that mm. Aaron really needs from the car? Uh, yeah, he's always, if he anything ever complains about, is front grip. Wants more. So he always wants more front grip. And I, I, and I constantly say to him, mate, just be careful with that because the more front grip you generate, the harder you're going to work your rear tyre as the race goes on. So, um, so he tends to not worry too much about being the thing being a little bit loose. Mm -hmm. But uh, always, if I come in and, and, and I do say to him, what can we do to make it go faster? Well, I need a bit more mid-corner speed, mid-corner front grip. So... But, and these cars are quite got, – got a lot of front grip as they are, so he's just based on, I suppose, through go-karts and things like that. He's just liked the thing to be a little bit loose but um, but has a very good front front end in it and front, front mm. grip in the front. One thing George mentioned last week was that uh, if you second-guess your, um, like, steering into the corner um, – mm -hmm the car doesn't respond so well because of the baggy tyre. So you sort of need to commit yourself to the turn or to the throttle and help yep. the car take a set. Obviously, Aaron's ad uh, adapted that really well. Um, yeah. You know, because Aaron's been probably basically the standout in the championship, um, yep. super, super fast and won a lot of races, yep. been able to manage that tyre or the lack of yep. tyres really well. But I wanted to ask, what sort of changes can you make to the car? Is it adjustable shocks? Is it roll centers like is can you basically is it like a mini supercar or is it sort of set and forget in some areas no most areas are controlled like so everything like you got a, you got a controlled shock absorber but you can revalve them that's all you can do to them um you can change the shimming in them so that's all you can do to that part of their penske on they're a great shock they're single adjustable so you got a little adjustment a little bit of adjustment at the racetrack with them um, but the re like you, you've got a certain amount of front springs you're allowed, which is three front springs and three rears and different rates from 750 down to 550 in the front mm -hmm. and then from uh, 350 down to 200 in the rear. So they're the only combinations you can run throughout the car. Um, roll centers, you can vary them a little bit, but only based on what's there in adjustments in the front end that's already there, which is very little anyway um, that you can adjust. You can only adjust the top arm 
uh, angles on the top arm with anti-dive or you can change the roll centre just by moving shims on the top arm. That's all you can do there. Yeah. Uh, the, the hub, everything is controlled on the car, but there's all these little areas where you can just tune it a little bit. There's a rear wing on it, which is a two-element rear wing. You can adjust mm-hmm. that um, on the back of them. Has it got um, much downforce, the cars? No, they, Tony, I'd, I'd probably say they're half, probably half the amount of a supercar's got. Yeah. I'd probably say they've probably got 100 kilos of downforce at the max because um, they've got an under-training, but they're flat. Um, there's no um, tunnels in them to make downforce too much in the front. The rear wing on it is a pretty basic rear wing, um, so they give you a little bit of downforce, but not a lot. Um, the the tyre is controlled. It's the same tyre front and rear, so you've got to manage that side of it. Um, You've got uh, a couple of a few trailing arm positions you can change on the rear, which is only holes. Um, you can put it into those, change in those different holes. You can change. It's got a watts link on the back, which yeah, is fixed right. to the diff. Yep. Um, you can change that. You can go there's three three adjustments with that uh, inch apart. Um, and there's ride heights. That's that's really all you can do to them. Um, you mm-hmm. can't change anything else. Now, Cedo, a lot of our listeners, and we've got. 50,000 that uh, mm-hmm. subscribed. We don't really. I yeah, wish we did. But <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> a lot of our listeners wouldn't uh, probably know our history. And just to let everyone know, we're... Glenn joined our development series team in 2007, coincidentally yep, the same sure. year that I won the championship. <laughs> so we went on that journey that year together. And uh, I really benefited from having somebody with all that experience and also that I could talk to from a driver's point of view and try and refine my skills. But I I do remember the first time that uh, you came and met with uh, myself, my dad, Al, and my uncle, Ferdy. And you asked me to um, leave the room for a second. So we had like a little chat, you know. And they said, oh, Tony, you're a, can you, I just want to have a chat to your dad privately. So anyway, you have your little chat. Dad comes out of the meeting and of course I ask him, oh, what did he want to know? Yeah. Yeah, what was it? What, yeah. Yeah, what was it? And uh, he said, well, Glenn thinks that you're fast enough, but you get yourself in too much trouble. So that's no, what we need to focus on. I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, really? Maybe that's what dad wanted me to focus on. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't remember that. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised because I think the year before I got involved in a few too many crashes in in Dunlop series and we we took a a conservative approach in some ways in 2007 and, you know, obviously it gave my first win in the championship, uh, sorry, race win, round wins, and we had a really good year. So for me personally, that was a career highlight and to share it with yourself um, was really cool. And we almost almost drove together at uh, Bathurst the following year there. So That's we've right. got a little bit of history, Grant, and uh, yeah. I do still really love those times that I share with Glenn. Yeah, thank you. No, it was a good time, Tony, and I enjoyed that. It was great to uh, that uh, 2007 to win that um, Development Series Championship for you. It was um, a good year. Um, we started off pretty good from Adelaide, I remember that year. And then I uh, just uh, I remember there was one round I didn't I didn't do it with you, which was uh, one of the rounds in the middle, and and you're leading the championship by a fair bit, and it was chaos. I remember you got caught up with an incident with someone. Um, that was See? actually Bathurst that year. That's right. It was Bathurst. That's right. Oh, it was Bathurst that year. I couldn't because you were do, um, you were doing enduro because I was driving myself. That's right. Actually, I do and, remember uh, that I crashed. And you got caught Maddie up in White? turn I think one. I think White. it was. Yeah. 
We we did stick it on pole though. Stuck That's it on right. pole, got a good start, but Maddie just yeah. just edged in front. And I was like, yeah. right, I'm gonna feed him a little bit here. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we we sort of clipped wheels and it broke my steering. I remember my yeah, dad remember being that. so disappointed when I come in. <laughs> just a look on his face, he's like, mate, you could have yeah. just, you know, slotted in behind and just That's got championship right. points. But I was like Aaron back then. I just wanted to win. Yeah. And yeah, uh, right. starting on the front row at Bathurst, obviously, is a big deal. And uh, I wanted yeah. to try and win the race. But, yeah, I buggered it up, unfortunately. But that's why yeah, I needed it... you in my ear to uh, <laughs> calm me down, Glenn. Um, we actually had a similar in- incident to what um, Aaron had the final round of Trans Am last year. That's right. At our that's final round at Phillip Island. Um, yeah, that's right. I remember that, that yeah. year. So yeah. So Dale Wood that was, and that Webby. That was with uh, Dale Wood. Yeah. Dale Wood coming out of Siberia. They had a bit of a coming um, together. And then I, yeah. I tried to get through it and ended up coming together with Dale. It put that's me right. in the fence. Yeah. And I didn't care if there was every panel hanging off that thing. We were getting going again. Yeah. And the uh, right. way we went somehow didn't get black flagged. Yeah. Got enough points to finish the championship one point up on Caruso. Yeah. Like that That's was right. that was a nail biter, I tell you. So uh, That's right. similar sort of scenario that, to what you uh, <laughs> experienced last year and maybe not the same nerves that you felt, but um, I'm sure yeah. you can uh, sympathise with uh, my family at that time. <laughs> Absolutely. I know how your dad felt that day after uh, last year of us, that's for sure. Lots yeah. of lots of stressed Albertos in uh, in the pit garage on that day, if I if I recall. <laughs> Glenn, let me just uh, before we before we end, there was one bit that you we'd spoken about just before about your yeah. own driving or lack of desire yeah. to do yeah. your own driving. You've probably disappointed a lot of race fans across the country with them. Uh, you know, hearing you mutter those those words. Have, yeah. have we seen the last of you? Last of you driving? Is it a never say never sort of deal? What's uh, what's, oh, what's like your take? Like Grand, there'll be occasions when something stimulates me to want to go and have a race again, uh, and it'll probably be more historic stuff than anything. But um, I don't have any desires. Like when you do it for so many years professionally, and you come through the, the times you have, um, and owning our own race team, running it, engineering your own race car, um, and, and doing all that, it was pretty. Uh, time consuming in my life it was really really enjoyable I wouldn't want it any other way but you get to a point where you I find that you do a lot of things but probably the biggest thing that's changed that is Aaron's come along racing now and I really really enjoy going racing with him and and also doing the engineering side of it for him I get more stimulation out of that than me sitting in a race car um, turning the steering wheel to be honest so that's why it sort of doesn't urge me to want to come back and do it and as you get older you lose your competitiveness you're not as fast there's no doubt about that you don't take the risks and um, it's not as enjoyable as it was when you were younger when you were taking the risk and having a go. As I get older, I don't lose anything at the moment. I'm just gaining <laughs> gaining things, and it's all ha- happening that, around right? my weight. It's all weight? Ha- happening around my stomach. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Hey, we're all got that. It's great that uh, we have uh, Aaron racing in the Trans Am yeah. series, uh, third generation racer. He's right up the front. The tr- Trans Am series is something that the Australian Racing Group is really proud of, and. Uh, looking forward to pushing that into the future, and and hopefully we uh, we have we have Aaron compete right at the very front as well. Yeah, that's naturally our plan. We'll do Trans Am for as long as we can, and that'll be at least uh, it'll definitely be this year, and definitely be next year, I think. So, I think the car class has got uh, so much uh, potential in the future, particularly with AIG with the 
promoting it and uh, moving it to where it was. I think the Adelaide was a great kickoff for us this year and it was um, a real highlight to everybody that's been involved in this class um, from, from grassroots. And uh, I think it's, there's no doubt it's going to go from uh, leaps and bounds from here. Yeah, it's got everything that the race fans want. Big, loud V8s, Ford, Fords, Chevys, Dodgers. Uh, there's, it's not missing too much. Glenn Seaton, thank you so much for joining us on Parked Up. We look forward to seeing you back at a racetrack real soon. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Great to have Glenn Seaton, the baby-faced assassin, and a real shame that you know we're probably not going to see him competing in motorsport ever again he's never going to be far away from the track no. he loves it but but not it's it's a shame that you know he probably for me retired a little bit too early and he probably could right now i reckon jump back into a trans am car or a touring car masters car and he would be pretty much mm. near near the front so you know for me a little bit of a shame but great that um, the Seton name certainly isn't uh, no, isn't I, stopped in this sport. I think now Aaron is doing so well in the sport and he's, he's getting some momentum on his side. I think Glenn, he, he, feels, he feels good about not driving himself now. He's getting his enjoyment through Aaron and helping him trying to achieve championships such as a Trans Am last year in 2019. And he's well on track this year as well. So they're achieving some amazing things together. So I think that's where he's getting his, his enjoyment he loves tinkering though. I remember when he worked for our team, he you know would love to tinker with anything, and it was quite funny what he was talking about. How he was sort of, he sort of grills Aaron after a session. What do we need to do? What do we need to go faster? And that's exactly what he would do with me as well. But because he's been a racing driver, you're almost talking the same language. And sometimes it is a little bit tricky when an engineer is talking to you because they actually haven't driven the car. You know, they've got the smarts about the you know engineering the car. But just that feel component they, they lack. So having uh, you know, Glenn on board, you know, from the driver's point of view, but also from an engineering background, that's a mix made in heaven. So that's why I think he gets some really good results with Aaron. Well, from one legend of the sport to another legend, we're going to talk to Jason Barguana. He actually got to do something that Glenn Seaton never got to do, and that was win the Bathurst 1000. Jason won the 2000 Bathurst 1000 with Garth Tander back at Gary Rogers Motorsport. 20 years on, having gone through a full career in in supercars and then uh, tinkering around in other uh, support classes, Jason's back and he's racing in the TCR Australia Series with support of Burson Auto Parts and he's competing with GRM in the Persia. And he, again, also had a, uh, a co-drove with yourself, during your time in the uh, endurance races? Yes, that have had a history with me. I think just about everyone we've well, spoken yeah, to has had some connection to yourself. I've been yourself. around a while. I've been around a while. But Jace wasn't picked on that for that reason whatsoever. But it is great to have him on board because he's a big name of motorsport and he's doing the same as what Cito is doing right now with his son, Ben. You know, he's trying to pass on that knowledge. It's the all-family edition, this yeah, one. Yeah, it's the all-family edition. And the next generation of stars, these young drivers coming through, trying to make a name for themselves. So it'd be nice to catch up with Bargs. Away you go. Push Let's those buttons, man. Here we go. And it's great to welcome Jason Barguana onto the Parked Up podcast. Bargs, thanks for joining us. Thank you for, for that. Parked Up, it's just it's a nightmare, isn't it? But we're... 
we're getting through it. So at least uh, you guys can create some entertainment. That's good. Yeah, that's right. We'll uh, we can sing some songs and do some dances, maybe do some handstands. That'll keep people. Uh, entertained let's uh just just give us a little bit of uh, your coronavirus story i know you've uh, you were about to get into your debut tcr australia series it's uh, all fallen in a bit of a heap but you've been pretty busy in your regular world yeah look obviously we you know we got what within half an hour of my first race in the tcr car so sitting there in the car ready to go at the grand prix uh you know helmet on boots on suit on uh, sort of waiting, yep, come on, we're going to go, we're going to go. And then to find out that, you know, it, it obviously didn't happen was very disappointing. So, um, you know, clearly what my experience at TCR so far, the little bit of testing of the couple of days we've done, mingling with some of the guys that I know and some of the races I've raced against before and, and to get back out, do a, a uh, competitive qualifying session, it, it started to get the juices flowing again. So it was, uh, it was quite exciting and for it to, to come to an end like that, when I say end, uh, probably a postponement. But look, we're all we're all suffering from it, and and everyone's going through it. We're all in this together, as we know, and we've got to find a way to get through it. But certainly, what's happened in my world outside of motor racing is that when you own a transport company uh, in this environment, we are very very busy. So it's it's kept us busy, which is good. And um, yeah, it, uh, look forward to get back to racing. Did you have any toilet paper? Was uh, toilet paper part we, of we your have- movie? We have moved truckloads of toilet paper. It is amazing. So yes, we've um, we've seen plenty of different things come through here. Alcohol is a big one as well. Uh, we we are delivering boxes of beer and wine to a lot of people's houses. But uh, yeah, definitely toilet paper and hand sanitizer. We've seen a lot of that come through. Uh, very good. I'll pass on my address just in case there's an extra couple of cases of uh, Pinot or uh, some lagers uh, <laughs> that need it need a home. Tell us why why, why TCR. Uh, why Peugeot and why back to Gary Rogers Motorsport? Oh, look, obviously I haven't raced for, you know, competitively for a couple of years now. I've been racing New Zealand, done what we've um, uh, done over there, had what, eight seasons, I think it was, racing in the New Zealand Touring Car Championship. But the team, you know, things changed over there. Budgets are a bit tight. So uh, sitting around having a look. Last year I went and watched a number of the TCR races, but I've always been a bit of a hot hatch guy. So, you know, I raced the minis back in the day and, and always followed that type of front-wheel drive racing. I really enjoyed it. So when I've watched TCR arrive in Australia, it, it certainly lit a fire inside me. And, and you know, as the opportunities uh, come along, we, we, we started working on a few things. They mentioned that there was going to be a two-driver race at Bathurst, and, and that sort of you know connected a few of the dots for me. And then you know, the thought of racing with my son at Bathurst was uh, something that really got me excited. We you know, commercially it started to make sense as well. When they announced the TV deal, the people we'd been talking to uh, got very excited and said, well, this is something that we want to do. And obviously that was, we were able to announce our major partner in Burson's uh, Auto Parts and and clearly uh, it was a two-year deal um, based on, you know, what the, the formula or what it looked like at the time. So now we've got to sit back and wait to see what we, we all look like. But, you know, obviously our partner is on board and, and we're excited to be able to do something with them, even if it's on the computer during the uh, the downtime <laughs> they are super exciting cars to drive and like i haven't actually had a lot of experience with a front wheel drive car but i've always watched you know the overseas racing the hustle and bustle that this sort of racing creates and that's what i think is really exciting about it's not so much driving a front wheel drive car and as you know they're a very different car to drive how would you compare driving the TCR car with some of the other front-wheel drive? You mentioned the Mini before. So you've got some of that experience. Are these just on an, on another level? 
you know, have they really sort of uh, surprised you in any way? Look, I think when I when I first sort of started motor racing at the age of 17, I did a little bit of that Formula V stuff, but also raced a little Suzuki Swift production car. So mm-hmm. very early on, um, you know, my, my experience of front-wheel drive was was basically right at the start of my career. Right. So right throughout my career, I've driven lots of different bits and pieces, as you know. Um, the Minis come along, and, and they were a production-based car. They had around that 250-odd horsepower. They were on a very good tyre, um, a slick tyre, and they had – yeah, which was a pretty control package right across the board for all those minis. The TCR car is just the next level of that again. You're talking about a, a production-based car, but they've really done a great job to turn them into a race car. Mm. Now, obviously, over the years, I've raced Group A. I raced at Bathurst in um, front-wheel drive Corolla as well. My cousin Scott and I, we won the class up there in a Group A Corolla. What year, mate? Uh, in 1992. All right, yeah. Actually – Remember Jim Richards called everyone a pack of assholes. Yeah. I think it was. Um, we're, 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 Scotty was on the po- Scotty was in the same crash at the top of the hill, and I was fortunate enough to to jump up on the podium that day and be up there when uh, when all that happened. But oh, nice. so yeah, I am getting old, aren't I? But the 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 reality is that I've had that experience. So you know, 1992, a Group A car was you know they were, they were fairly raw in terms of front wheel drive. That mini was actually faster at Bathurst than the Group A Corolla. Right. Um, so that, that shows you how far the front-wheel drive technology has come, and it shows you they were a production car versus a Group A car. Mm-hmm. And now we're in the TCR car. They're a very refined race car. Mm. Um, and there's some little tricks about it. You've learnt them. I've got to learn them um, about using that tyre. But once that – for me, what I've felt so far is once that tyre is up to temperature and the grip mm. level's high, you can really attack in these cars and enjoy driving them. <laughs> the opening laps, though, uh, are quite spectacular in many ways. Like you, you're literally skating on ice, especially those rear tyres. That's what I found really tricky to to get used to. And David Wall said to me when I first drove the Honda, he said, when you think that rear tyre is good to go, it's not, and it will bite no. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm taking that advice because I haven't had a first corner yet, so – I've still got to work that one out, but yes, I'll I'll listen to your advice there, uh, Tony. Thank you very much. I think, uh, like at the Grand Prix, obviously being quite a sharp corner that first corner, I, I was sort of uh, anticipating a bit of carnage. You know, everybody barreling down to try and grab it at that last spot before turn one, uh, and then having no rear grip whatsoever. Um, they're just really tricky, and I think that is hard to sort of overcome. I think you just got to live with it and deal with it the best you can. So. That's probably the, one of the hardest things that I've found jumping into a TCR car. But you're right, when the, when the grip level comes up, you can really throw them around and get a lot of attitude on the car. And the thing that I'm not used to is when the tail comes out, I naturally want to try and correct the car. And you'd know that you sort of don't. You just sort of point the front wheels where you want to go and get on the gas. And I've, I've got to really tell myself that. So, I mean, with your experience coming from some front-wheel drive stuff, is, is some of the driving techniques starting to flood back in? Yeah, it does. Um, I remember with the Mini, it took a while to really get to the point where you had it singing and dancing up on the tyres. So, mm. you know, turn one at Phillip Isle and the thing's starting to step out and you've just got to tell yourself to keep your foot flat um, and, and really let the front wheels pull the car forward. And obviously when you get out of the throttle and the car's sliding, you know, the rear's stepped out, the car's sliding – that's when they, they grip up and snap the other way mm. and all of a sudden you point in the wrong direction you didn't even know what happened. So that natural instinct you develop as a, as a young driver, um, you, you do have to adjust that. But for me, yeah, clearly I've done a little bit of it, so let's hope it doesn't catch me out. But I think so far rear tyre temp 
in the testing we've done hasn't been too bad. I thought, okay. found it wasn't too much of an issue, but I, I will acknowledge that we are in uh, we were in summer. Um, so I reckon Winton in the middle of June, uh, the rear cold tyre would certainly catch you out on lap 23, let alone lap one. Oh, I can't wait for it. I, could, I can't wait to get back racing again myself. I'm getting really itchy feet. Uh, we have been doing a bit of racing though. So we've been doing the ARG eSport Cup, the Car Sales ARG eSport Cup, I should say, Grant. Uh, I've got to plug those sponsors. Don't leave the sponsors out. No, no, no. Uh, we're at Oran Park last week, so uh, awesome track. You know, they did a fantastic job replicating the circuit, and I, I was lucky enough to do a little bit of racing myself there, and I just couldn't believe how similar the circuit was. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Well, it was, and I, I think that we've all sort of played these games and simulators and experienced Bathurst as a track, and we've seen them develop uh, the quality of the Bathurst track because we've all been there, we know it, and they've done a really good job. But mm. to go to somewhere like Oran Park, um, you know, it hasn't been around for a long time. Um, and I've done a lot of laps there. It's, it's it's even the little the little knobs of concrete that hang off the curbs that you've got to, uh, you know, look out for, those little bumps when you're going across the go-kart track, the way you attack the bridge, the way the car feels coming off the bridge. I, I, I thought it was unbelievable. It was, um, it was really exciting to watch. It was even better when I was following you, and I think you turned hard right into the fence at one stage. So... <laughs> It was actually um, – and, and that's that first corner thing, I, I think I've learned a lot out of that because I went down to the first corner at Doran Park there, braked really early and watched everyone crash and managed to get through it. So I think I might apply that uh, when we get racing again. It might work for me. That's but, yeah, a, what, a great, old, what a great event. Uh, race head uh, on your shoulders, mate. That's uh, seeing the seas part in front of you or the young blokes trying to get that last little <laughs> spot at the start. And you're like – I'm just going to sit back here and see what happens. So I, I did exactly that and managed to peel through a lot of them and ended up moving up, which was good fun. But yeah, look, I've watched Ben race in the uh, obviously the the the, um, the series. Uh, he's done most of the racing. I've done one night now, um, and he's doing a great job. And and for me, I, I like it. I like the fact that you apply your craft. You know, you got your hands and your feet, your hand-eye coordination uh, in terms of what we do. Clearly, you don't have the the proper car there, but it, it's a good way of you know tuning your skills up and, and racing. And, and I found it – I got to the end of that race at Oran Park, 40-odd minutes or whatever it was, I was knackered. It was unbelievable how you know, the mental the mental um, stress on the, you know, racing and the, the intensity of the battle, it was, it was awesome. We had the in-car camera on you for the entire night's racing and I don't think we saw you blink once. Did you need some visine <laughs> after that? Yeah, no. I, well, maybe. Did you miss the bit where I had the beer sitting next down to me on the on the uh, on the chair? I hope you did. We, um, we saw the... it. We didn't publish it, but thanks for telling our listeners. That's great. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's that bad, is it? So, no, look, no, it was um, the concentration level. I mean, that's what I like about the sim racing. I've never really been a fan of it, but what I've learnt um, and certainly had my eyes opened up to the whole experience is the 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 craft or the skills that you use are exactly that in the race car. And that's what I found racing around Oran Park there, that once you got your rhythm right, your consistency, your mental approach, all of a sudden it, you could easily feel that you're racing the car. You're in a battle, you're looking in the mirror, you know, you've got an engineer in your ear telling you what's going on, you're thinking about pit stops. It was, um, yeah, it was really good. How did Ben go as uh, as your engineer rather than driving? As you said, he's he's done a really good job improving each week and two top 10 results at Phillip Island, which I thought was an excellent result given that we used both the Audi touring car and the F3 over that event. So he certainly improved as the series has gone on. 
He has, and he's certainly when I get a chance to have a go, he, he's very quick at pointing out how bad I am, and uh, and full of all advice on what I need to do and and uh, you know and how I need to go about what I do motor racing. So, look, he's he's obviously uh, got his head around it pretty quickly. Um, he does a bit of that sort of stuff, and and obviously the sim arrived literally 20 minutes before the very first event, the the, the first of the T, um, TCR events. So we haven't had a lot of practice with it, but uh, he certainly uh, picked it up quicker than me. But, yeah, look, as he, as an engineer in the background there, he, he certainly points out where I go wrong. He's got a lot of advice. Um, but, I, I've, you know, when it comes to Oran Park, that's where I was able to pull out a few and say, no, mate, this is how we do it. So I managed to be quicker than him around there and, and really enjoyed it. So we're going to go back to, you know, I think Silverstone is uh, this week's event. So I'll have a bit of a practice there as well, but he'll smoke me on that one, I've got no doubt. So, look, before we let you go, we should mention, we should talk about that one year that yourself and TD teamed up in the Supercars Endurance Races. Uh, you drove in, drove together in 2008 in the Bottolo car in uh, the first year that Tony coming off his development series win in 07 and Tony's family team ran Tony's car along with Rod Nash Racing. Uh, I thought that was actually one of the better looking uh, TDR cars over, over the years, that green and white machine. I should have done my research first. I can't remember how you went in the, it would have been Phillip Island endurance uh, 500k race prior to. How did you guys go there? Refresh. I can't actually remember myself, to be honest. Should have done research. I, all I remember is, buddy, me throwing away a bloody good Bathurst result. <laughs> <laughs> we had... One of the no, there was best oil on the track, wasn't there? That's was my excuse. That's that's, yeah, exactly. out, of, that's out of the driver's handbook, <laughs> excuse book. Um, we had one of the best days that day. The car was really quick. Uh, we had an XHRT car, uh, Walkinshaw car at the time, and Bugs. Obviously, you've come off racing full time uh, in supercars and was super fresh and super fast. And we were up the front all day. And to be honest, I think. You know, looking back on it now, it was a few years ago now, 10, 12 years ago, I had I was trying to chase down Maxie Wilson and we were fifth at the time. So, you know, we were trying to go for fourth. And I had Will Davison coming at me and he'd had a little off and then he got back on the track and he started to creep, you know, a little bit closer. So I'm pushing like crazy to try and hold that position and simply, you know, made a mistake at turn two and spun the car you know, you'd, I've been in the rhythm so much all day. You know, you sort of get in there and it's uphill and you get on the gas to pull yourself up the hill. And I really thought, you know, nothing of it, having a little bit of a slide. And it literally just got away from me. The front come around, smacked the wall, broke the upright, out of the race. Done. Yeah, that's three to go, wasn't it? <laughs> 158 laps we're done. And we're going to finish top five, no problem. Well, maybe top six if Will had got me. But, you know, that was, you know, the best bit though, driving with bugs. I didn't have to put a bloody insert in. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, look, you can take stock in the fact that, uh, Tony, that, yeah, that wasn't uh, a good way to end that day. But, no. you know, at least at least you didn't do it in the warm-up uh, after you put it on pole. <laughs> so, uh, you know, look, there's, there's oh, two, as we all know. That makes me feel a bit better. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Young blokes, there's always cold tyres. There's always, yeah, exactly. There was, uh, I think it was Neil Crompton once told me, there's only two types of race car drivers at Bathurst. There's those that are about to crash and those that have crashed. So... <laughs> 
Um, we've all we've all been there. We've all you know, and we and that's what you do. I mean, at the end of the day, you push hard. Yeah. We had a great day that day, TD. We we um, I know I remember distinctly. It was obviously one of your first Bathursts, and yeah. um, in terms of that that environment, how nervous you were at the start of that race. And yeah. I remember putting my arm around you and saying, "Mate, it's all right. Just have a big deep breath." Yeah. It's a long day, you know. And and we managed to get through it. We did, as you say, we did run in the top three, and I think at one stage there we were battling for the podium and. But, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. So, so, like, for our little team, that was our first year in full-time supercars, and it was my first time, I suppose, being the lead driver, so to speak, uh, doing the qualifying, all that sort of stuff, taking that lead role. Um, but that is purely the reason why we had we got Jace on board for that year because of all that experience. And for moments exactly like you just mentioned there where the young bloke is letting the occasion overcome him a little bit, and you sort of get uh, a little bit nervous and, you know, somebody like yourself, Jace, that has obviously been to Bathurst many times and, you know, as you mentioned, maybe you had a few mistakes yourself and can see the light. Just to settle down the, the younger driver and pass on that knowledge. And, I, you know, I suppose the reason I wanted to bring this up is you're doing exactly that with Ben right now. You know, you're trying to pass on that sort of knowledge and being that sort of second-generation racer that Ben is, second or third, probably third, Second? Third, well, yeah, third, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it sort of cuts down that learning curve. So I think it's awesome to have somebody in your corner that's sort of been there, done it, and can pass on that knowledge and hopefully get you to the front of the field sooner than when you're trying to work it all out yourself. Well, yeah, look, I, I try and help him with that. But, you know, he's he's uh, 19 and he knows more than me about it all. So um, I'm sure you can imagine. But uh, when it comes to an event, you know, look, in Bathurst, as we all know, it's a pretty special event. And as I say, I remember that how nervous you were. And, and we all know that last part of Bathurst, how intense it is. And that's why it is intense. That's why, it, it, it you know, it, it is so attractive to everyone in the sport. The fans love it. We know how intense that is. So going to Bathurst with Ben um, and co-driving with him, hopefully uh, I can help you know, keep those uh, emotions under control, help him stay focused on the job at hand, put some uh, you know processes and disciplines in place for him to get through that first experience at Bathurst. And hopefully that will then lead to him being in a position where you know, the next year or years following, he's in, he can lead the car and, and do the job. And, and, you know, look, we all understand the pressures around the sport. Um, certainly people inside the sport, people outside the sport, probably don't really understand the pressures. And it's not even, you know, it might, you might be running for fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever, but that last stint of Bathurst, it's just electric and it's it's everything you want as a race car driver. And, um, yeah, it's, it's bitten many a guy. I reckon it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was good experience. And hopefully when we go there this year at mean November and things sort themselves out, we can get up there and, and put on a show for everyone as, and, and make it happen. The plan that you'd set at the start of the year was that you would do this year and, and consider handing the keys over to Ben for 2021. But, uh, Bugs, it sounds like the, uh, the, the fire has been lit. It's going to take a lot to peel you out of that seat once we get going. Well, look, I mean, I, I'm really enjoying it. Um, and I have said right from the outset, we've put a two-year deal uh, together with our sponsor in GRM. Uh, it's a perfect place for me to uh, consider ending my career. So if Ben forces me out of the seat, and he's going to have to work pretty hard to do that, and I'm happy for him to step up and, and show me that he's ready to go and mix it with the Tony Dalbertos of the world and, and race. Uh, well, I mean, it, it, but what I mean is as a young guy, you know, like it's it's he needs to go in there and be ready to win. And, and to do that, he's going to have to work hard. 
uh, work hard at Formula Ford. TD's done that. He knows what we're talking about. Um, get that right and then be ready to, to take that step. And if he's ready to do that, then, yeah, maybe he – I think he wants to buy me some fishing rods or something, he said. Although we've got a simulator now, so he might be able to teach me how to do that. Yeah. And, uh, and he can put me on that and he can take the real car. Well, it's the only thing we've got at the moment. It's great to have you involved in, in that series. And, Bargs, we can't wait to see that Burson Auto Parts Peugeot out on the track for real. We thank you so much for joining us on Parked Up, and we look forward to catching up in the real life. And I, I thank you guys for entertaining me every week with uh, with some great stories and, and keeping our motorsport uh, enthusiasm high, I've got to say. Well done. Thanks, buddy. Well, he's definitely got uh, that passion to go motor racing. You can tell in his voice compared to Cedo's, uh, he still wants to go car racing. There's yeah, the no fire is still it. there. The oh, fire absolutely. is still there. Absolutely. And uh, it was good to hear that his business is going quite well. Quite funny that he's uh, transporting a heap of dunny paper. Uh, who would have thought? I mean, the supermarkets did go crazy there for a little bit for, for dunny paper. I reckon there's going to be a lot of households around the country that are just stocked full uh, to the brim. But, you know, there has been a plus side to, to this COVID-19 in some businesses, and it sounds like Jace uh, is benefiting from that side of things. Yep, uh, and I'm sure while that's all firing along well, it sounds like he just wants to get back in that race car and, and get back get back on it you can actually hear when he talks about Bathurst he talks about Mount Panorama that the eyes light up and the voice raises uh just that little bit more he knows how special that is that place is he sees he's conquered it he's he's stood on top of the podium there in the biggest race that this country has and for him to have potentially have that opportunity to share a drive with his son Mm. Uh, in an endurance race at that circuit, you can just tell that it, it means something. Mm. It's going to mean something a little bit more. Yeah, and that's a really special thing. I mean, you've got children as well, and uh, to see them get to that point where you know they're at that level where they can go racing around an iconic circuit that you have conquered must be must be a special feeling. So I'm looking forward to seeing that later this year. I thought you were going to say I'm looking forward to sharing a co-drive with Oscar at wow. the Bathurst 1000 one day. Maybe by the time he's old enough, I'll be the same age as Bargs and we can do a similar thing. Who knows? Wow. That's that's an expensive pastime. Can you go buy him, buy him a footy, buy him a tennis oh, racket or something? It, yeah. He likes soccer. There you go. He's going to be no good at basketball, though. Uh, yeah. Hey, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a player back in the day called Muggsy Bogues and he was really short and he played for the Charlotte Hornets, mm. and he was an absolute gun. Like, the guy was an absolute weapon. Just because you're short doesn't mean you can't play basketball. Look, I don't know if I believe you, because I'm actually watching the Michael Jordan Netflix yeah, it, episode. That's, I guess series. that's the reason why I've brought up Muggsy Bogues. Called? It's called The Last Dance. The Last Dance. It's Absolutely. fantastic, isn't it? awesome. It's the best. So good. Yeah. It just, Hell, it, I forgot that he actually went and played baseball. Uh, well, that's... I forgot. I just, you know, just think of him as a basketball hero. Yep. I forgot about that little period there where he tried to deviate and probably wreck his career. But No. Well, I, and it was interesting to see how they uh, depicted that as well. I, I'd collected basketball cards um, 
uh, around that time. So I was kind of really into it and I've absolutely loved this, loved the series. Mm. It's been fantastic. It makes me want to get out and actually achieve something in my world. He's such a uh, inspirational character. Mm. Looked like a real asshole as well. I was going to say, yeah. Massive, like... ma- but, but he just had, he had a vision. He, he, you know, yeah. he was not going to be stopped with what, what he wanted to do. He was super mm. competitive. Love uh, seeing that side of an athlete at that level. You know, because everyone loved him, but in the background, there's probably a lot more to him. And in, he did whatever it took to win, whether it be dirty talk or play a bit rough or, you know, take care of a few players on the on the court. Whatever it was, he was there for one thing, and that was to win. So that that was really cool. We're getting off track a little bit, but no. If 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 uh, any of our listeners have not watched The Last Dance, if you're not a sports fan, mm. if you're not a basketball fan, it does not matter. That is a great story. So after you've finished listening to this episode and <laughs> all of the back episodes of Parked Up, then we'll let you go and watch The Last Dance. Talking about. Uh, superstar athletes, our next guest... He's not one. He's not one, no. Uh, Mark Fogarty. He's spoken to all of them. He's spoken to a lot of them. So I'd be interested today to actually ask him who was his best chat. You know, who did he interview that uh, rates right up there as his his all-time ultimate uh, athlete that he's interviewed? Amazing. Well, we'll give... I'll let you ask that question. Let's grab Fogues on the phone and turn the screws on him and ask him the questions rather than him asking others questions. You press the buttons, Tony, go. And our final guest on Parked Up for today is the legendary Australian motoring and motorsport journalist, Mark Fogarty. Folks, thanks for joining us on Parked Up. Well, I better perform after a big me up like that one. Save your best for last, have you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've, uh, actually, we, we've done a couple of journos, and we always save, we do save them for last, assuming that most people have switched off by the time <laughs> they get to them. But with people knowing that Mark Fogarty is going to be on, I'm sure they're listening to this, folks. It is a, a pleasure to have you on. Just, Check your ratings. Just tell us a little bit about your coronavirus story uh, and how things have gone for yourself over the past two months. Well, I have to say, I'm living in my own little bubble. Self-isolation is my natural state. <laughs> so nothing's you know, changed? Um, no, no. I mean, most people who, who know me would think that, well, folks doesn't you know, have to deal with people. He's as happy as Larry. That's obviously not strictly true because I speak to many people all the time in the course of my job, but I'm not trying it, finding this hibernation as much as uh, an imposition as many other people and the economic impact hasn't hit me yet. Auto action is still going. We're still firing. I'm still working. So I'm doing okay. Plenty of people aren't, unfortunately. It is a a very tough time and a a tough time that the industry that we know and love is going to face. What's your top-line view of of how national-level motorsport, international motorsport, is is going to be affected by the coronavirus? I'm tempted to say that it will never be the same again. In fact, you might argue that the world, as we know it, will never be the same again. Humans are pretty adaptable, though, and I think, you know, after some severe dislocation, things will get back going and we'll resume some, some sort of normality, 
um, but not for quite some time. But it's going to be a struggle. It's going to bring sports and teams and enterprises to their knees, not to mention the, well, we're facing, unfortunately, an economic catastrophe that's going to have severe social implications. So we talk about the end of this, the end of the, you know, COVID-19, call it what you like, coronavirus, pandemic and coming out the other side. But I'm afraid it's only just going to be beginning the beginning of something else. Hopefully that something else is not as terrible as some people predict. But people are very adaptable, racing people particularly, you know, are very adaptable. They're very innovative. And as soon as the restrictions come off, racing will get back um, at some level. At, well, at a high level, it'll certainly come back. Formula One, supercars, NASCAR, Indy cars. Um, but it's going to be a very strange world and... Um, if only for the fact that in probably most major sports anyway, not just to mention motor racing, um, for a large part, the media will will be excluded initially. So, you know, when Supercars comes back or when TCR and S5000 come back, um, it, it may well be, well, it'll certainly be in some cases that media like me won't actually be able to be on site and cover it so we'll still be covering things remotely so what a shame um, that is as well what a shame in some cases it might be a shame in in some other cases it'll be a blessing <laughs> oh I'll, uh, i won't say anything right now <laughs> that is quite hilarious actually uh folks uh we're actually seeing uh some you know bad news i suppose in supercar land with uh 23 red uh basically saying they're not going to run for the rest of the year I feel as though that's the first team that sort of made the jump that they're going to pull out for the season. You're in the know. What else are you hearing, not just in supercar land, but just in motorsport in general? Well, Tony, unfortunately, there are going to be many casualties. That's just the hard truth. And 23 Red, I don't think, are going to be the last in supercars. Many teams are struggling there already. So unless there's some significant support going around from somewhere, whether it's from the sport itself or the government or whatever, some teams are just, you know, some of the smaller struggling teams are just not going to see the other side. And it's it's having taking its toll on even some of the big teams. You know, even the richest teams out there have been affected. So, and the sport itself has been affected at all levels. Um, the income is just not there for the moment and it's not going to be there for some time. So... I think we have to brace ourselves, you know, for a lot of casualties. You know, I, I obviously hope that's not the case, but I, I can't see us coming out the other side of this unscathed. It's just, well, mm. it's not happening and it won't happen. It's not like uh, a Christmas break where everyone's just uh, having a bit of a holiday. Uh, the world has certainly changed quite a bit there. Uh, just moving forward. Tony, Tony this, is like, this is like nothing we've ever seen not just in living memory, but also almost in institutional memory. Mm. You know, there's virtually no one around who remembers, you know, how bad it was during the Spanish flu, which was the last great pandemic, you know, in 1918 to 20-odd, which you know, sure claimed you 50 million people around the world. Um, no one remembers, and barely anyone remembers, how tough life was during the Second World War. So this is new to all of us. Now... As I was saying, as going forward, uh, 
sporting codes are starting to talk about getting going again. We know there's some calendars about to be released in motorsport. Obviously, we're not going to be doing as many rounds, and I think uh, as a you know as the economy basically just can't uh, just can't do it. You know, it's just not foreseeable to to expect that we're going to do that many rounds uh, the back half of the year, and to expect the teams to be able to fund it, I think is is just just not going to happen. So I think you know a reduced calendar to get the juices flowing again and try and get some momentum going because for me that's the biggest thing. The wheels are basically stopped turning. And it's going to be quite a task to get that momentum back on the side and get sponsors excited about again, TV and people tuning in. It's it's going to be a big task. Mm. Oh, indeed it will be uh, on so many levels. But I think it's going to be very exciting when racing and sport generally comes back. So there's going to be a lot of anticipation for the return. Let's just talk about major motor racing series in Australia and around the world like Formula One. There's going to be huge anticipation. So you would imagine that when things start up again, there's going to be a huge amount of interest. And, you know, you'd you'd think ratings will shoot through the roof initially. So, you know, the, the upside is you'd hope and you'd think that there's going to be immense numbers of eyeballs watching our sport and other sports because people have been denied it for so long. You know, that's the hope and the expectation. Um, I just hope it doesn't go the other way. And the fact that people have, you know, had several weeks, almost months after the end of this, without sport, you know, there's a danger, I guess, hopefully not, but there's a danger that the sheer numbers may not come back because people have found other things to do. I, I don't want to be a naysayer, and I hope I'm not being a naysayer, but you just... The problem is we just don't know what is going to happen out of all this. It is so, so out of the ordinary that we just can't conceive the consequences, I don't believe. Now, something else that was out of the ordinary, folks, we appreciate your uh, honesty and your great insight into this. You're right, we don't have the right answer. But one thing that was completely out of the ordinary last year was the fact that we got you to come to some Shannon's Nationals events. Now, uh, usually you you go to all the, the major events covering for Auto Action and the other various publications that you have worked for over the years, but the Shannon's Nationals wasn't really a place that we would see Mark Fogarty. And we, uh, we were able to convince you to come to the very first round of the Shannon Internationals last year, which was the first round of the TCR Australia Series, the inaugural round. And uh, we actually saw you come to quite a few more Shannon's Nationals events over the over the course of the year. So um, your take on... Well, why, w- why wouldn't I? You sound so surprised. Shannon's Nationals have well, been going for 10 or 12 years. Well, yeah, but, but finally there was something to see and when you've been doing it as long as I have, you, you know, you get to a point after a while where you, you know, you do what you have to do, and you try and have some time off. But, you know, at heart, I'm a race fan. You know, I've been you, doing this as well as many other things. You have but, a heart. This but, is breaking news. Yeah, it, it is breaking news. But and this was confirmed seven years ago. But we won't go into that. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, but I am, I love racing and I always have. You know, it's been the constant through all the other things I've done. It's been the constant in my life since I was 15. So when there's something new and different and interesting, I'm happy to go and have a look at it. And 
my visits to the Shenmue's Nationals, which was attracted by the arrival of TCR and S5000, were extremely enjoyable. And, you know, it was different. It was something different. You know, obviously I'm always attracted to, you know, the very top of, 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 of sports all over the world or Formula One, supercars or, or indie cars. You know, professionally you gravitate to the top. But it was refreshing and enjoyable to go to something that was very different and, you know, dare I say it, a lot more like the old days. It was just mainly, you know, it was serious and professional, both CTR and S5000 particularly. But the, it was a lot more relaxed and it was a lot more fun and, and it was more, you know, racing for the sake of racing rather than being biz, big business. So um, I think clearly what AOG has brought to the table, you know, is, is a very worthy addition to Australian motor racing. It's given us a... For the first time in a long, 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 long time, a viable second level, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean a good, strong second level of national racing that if you're a diehard race fan or you're looking for something different, you can go and watch. doesn't cost an arm and a leg um, if you want to go or just watch it on, you know, on the screens of whatever, um, and it's... You know, and it's good fun, most of the time, good fun entertainment. So, you know, why wouldn't you? Well, I mean, Tony, you've got a different perspective. Again, you know, as a driver, you know, you drive the big stuff, but you've been involved in TCR as well. And it's it's not so much a, a matter of whether it's better, but it is just, you know, certainly different, isn't it? It is. I mean, for me, I'm always looking for another racing series to do to keep myself race fit and sharp before the supercar enduros and uh you know in previous years i've done gt stuff um i've always looked at maybe doing porsche or something but the thing that i didn't like about it is it clashes with the supercar rounds so this is a you know totally separate series and one thing that i wanted to do was really sharpen up my driving and that's what i saw uh that tcr could do and also to you know have the opportunity to get a manufacturer involved. Um, obviously, we know how expensive it is. So mm. being able to get Honda involved, um, that was a big win for me. And uh, you know the the hard close racing really sharpened me up, and I felt prepared me for for the supercar stuff. And it didn't clash with anything as well. But you're right; it, it's a sort of a, an area where you've got young guys coming through from Formula Ford or go karts or. Um, before they sort of make that transition into something, you know, really big, whether it be overseas or whether they want to go supercar racing or anything in between. It sort of is that middle road and still done at a really professional level with professional teams within um, Australia. So I've really enjoyed it and, you know, looking forward to getting going again this year and seeing what the landscape's like for next year as well. There you go. Couldn't have sold it better. We're sold. We we might even turn up to the to the next one, folks. Uh, you touched on the the ARG second offering, TCR S five thousand. Also under those um, in our ranks is Touring Car Masters, Trans Am, and and also the V eight Touring Car class. What's your take on how ARG might be positioned? Certainly, our position is that we have some really cool cost-effective and viable championships to move into, as you said before, a new uncharted economic world. 
do you feel that ARG, you know, has the right ingredients to to be um, a, a good alternate offering, or or even you know the offering? Interesting question. It's 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 a good mix. It's very enthusiast oriented. You know, as I say, if you if you like cars and you you like racing, there's a very good mix there. Um, and particularly if you're old school, you know what's not to love about S5000. Um, you know, truly powerful, quick open wheelers making a comeback in this country. So, yeah, the mix seems to be there. It's just whether the the numbers add up. I mean, all enterprises are going to be struggling. So, as long as ARG does its sums right and can make it add up, and it's not a burden on its well, let's be honest. You know, its benefactors that got it going, and it can um, you know start washing its face or even making some money. Yeah, has it every reason to exist, and um, it's gaining a lot of competitor support. And I think those other divisions appreciate being scooped up in the ARG, um, you know, mini tsunami that's rolled along. And um, it's a package that well, pretty much supports the uh, what is it now? The Motorsport Australia Championships, backed by Shannon's. I mean, you know, ARG's package of categories pretty much underpins the whole thing so um it is you know the the next go-to division in terms of national championship racing you've got you know whereas it realistically it used to be supercars and and the rest somewhere mm. out of sight you know you needed some sort of super tele- telescope to see them you know now at least there's a, there's a set of what appears to be a a viable you know strong second level um, that appeals to competitors. Um, as I think you said, you know, most of the divisions compared with supercars are very cost-effective, extremely cost-effective. So, um, yeah, now, there you I... go. And it's, it's, it's just something else to look at. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember the days when you, you'd go to a race meeting and, you know, the big names and the big cars and the big series, you know, were always at the top of the bill. But you had many other series beneath them or on the same program that attracted, you know, almost as much interest. And, you know, there wasn't so much a second level as a top, you know, as a a tiered top level, top level, if you like. Now, folks, uh, outside of these hard-hitting questions that we're giving you right now about TCR and ARG racing, S5000, all that sort of stuff, You've interviewed some of the best or biggest and best race drivers or athletes in the world. Do you have one particular interview that really stands out in your memory that you can share with us today? Well, in terms of an interview subject, Ayrton Senna has to be one of the most satisfying, if not the most satisfying, um, I've ever been able to, to, to interview. Um, you know, there was such depth to him and, and so much emotion and he actually thought about things. So he's probably at the top of my tree and I was privileged, certainly in hindsight, to do probably three or four major interviews with him in my career in Formula One. He's right up there with the likes of, well, I did you know a decade or more in tennis and you could never go past fascinating interviews with John McEnroe uh, particularly. Uh, never disappointed, and, and you know 
people like Jack Nicholas was particularly fascinating and Martina Navratilova and um, Chris Evert. Even Greg Norman. Well, no, Greg Norman wasn't a great interview. I retract that. Great sportsman, but not a great interview. Yeah, and the most frustrating of all, by far, was Bernie Eccleston. And why did Bernie frustrate you? Oh, because you'd listen to him, and such was his intonation and what he said. You thought he said something, and you'd run away excited. Oh, that's great, Bernie said this, that, and the other. And you replay the tape. And it was just like sand slipping through the, through your fingers. When, when, you know, in cold, hard type, it just wasn't there. It used to drive me absolutely crazy. <laughs> really did. He was just, you know, if you listen to him, you know, he was, he was the master of the, of the sound bites. You know, on, TV, on, bro- on a broadcast or something, short, sharp quips, yeah, sounded good. But when you actually transcribe, you know, his quotes... You know, for a print story, it, it just dissolved. Just it just dribbled down the dri- dribbled down the drain. As I said, drove me mad. I I read your Alan Jones feature in the most recent edition of Auto Action, and <laughs> and I and I, I the, the most interesting part was the little breakout that you had talking about your relationship with AJ over the years. It, you know, it was a, uh, as you described there, a prickly, a prickly relationship while he was uh, competing at that world stage. As the world spun around a few times, um, yep. you guys have, uh, you know, reconciled, or, or you know, you both understand each, each other's positions. But I'm sure there's uh, many, many top <laughs> top line athletes who you've had a, a similar thing with at various points. Yeah, but. These days, AJ never disappoints. He is just fearless, shameless, wouldn't know political correctness if it landed on top top of him. Um, just says what he thinks, and you know, is happy to you know tell stories against himself. I mean, but he had such a colourful career, and um, I've been able to get some of it out of him lately. For as you said in the. He's, he, he's kicking off our new series called Living Legends. So we've gone on a big discussion with AJ about his, just his Formula One career. He did so much else as well. And, but So it's in two parts. And the next week's auto action, we'll have the conclusion of it, which is possibly even more entertaining than the first one, if that's possible. But yes, sorry to get to your point. Yeah, I've had my ups and downs with many people in motor racing, particularly and in sport over the years. And to some extent, time heals all wounds and we all get a bit older and a bit wiser and, um, you know, mellow and mature a bit more. So, yeah, there's lots of people who I had, you know, fractious relationships with in the past that I now get on quite well because, well, I think they seem to be just amused or bemused that, you know, I'm still around, that I've lasted this long. So... To some extent, if you're last man standing, you get some credit for that. <laughs> well, if uh, you might be the uh, oldest, uh, if, if you're the oldest person rolling around the paddock, the uh, second oldest is is Auto Action, a absolute institution in the Australian motorsport scene, uh, run now by Bruce Williams, the publisher, 
mm-hmm. and a great supporter of uh, all the Australian racing group categories, as well as all, all Australian motorsport, really. Uh, still print magazine. They're delving a little bit into the digital world now with a, a website that you're contributing to on a, a more regular basis. What's your feelings on the on the future of of auto action and, and its position in the sport? Well, it's an institution. It's part of the fabric of the sport in Australia. It's been going since 1971 um, in the business, even slightly longer than me. Um, but you know, it's it's recorded the history of motorsport in Australia now for nearly fifty years. So it's very important. Um, I think we'll come out of all this in not bad shape because while nothing's been going on, we're at least supplying some entertainment and some information about what little is going on or what could be going on, and it's also given us a chance to delve into the sports history and you know. Just our archives alone, you know, there's no publication of any kind in the country that gets near the access to history that we have just in our own uh, archives alone. And then you add, you know, some of our contributors and myself who have been around and actually seen it, seen it all to some extent or seen much of it. So we're ideally positioned to recall and put into perspective some of the the great moments in motorsport over the last, you know, 50-odd years, I think our time, maybe, Auto Action's time has come again. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see for the sales figures, but it's certainly given Auto Action the last really remaining, you know, regular print publication about motor racing. It's, it's certainly only accentuated its reason to exist, and uh, I, think, I think the future is looking quite encouraging, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I am definitely in the hope that it continues for sure. I, uh, I, I got very fond memories of as a 12, 13, 14 year old boy racing down to my local news agent to buy the auto action that came out on that day, all the motorsport news as it, as it was uh, back then when there were sure. two regular print publications. And, you know, I, I still get a, uh, that little bit of excitement as I roll into my uh, local 7-Eleven who, who stocks it. They've uh, become so used to me getting the auto action on every second Thursday that they actually leave one copy at the desk, uh, at the counter for me to pick up as I uh, get my coffee so I don't actually need to go to the uh, go to the newsstands. It's uh, definitely part of uh, the, the way that I live my life. Yeah, it's it's, classic, it's still motorsport tragic. I am just a motorsport tragic. It's a uh, it's definitely well, anyway. it's definitely just a, a part of our lives, and couldn't really think of a, a a time without it. And we did have a minor time without it, but uh, you brought it back. You revived it. Well, I didn't, but the last couple of years I've helped restore it to its former prominence. I hope we'll see. Anyway, it's very kind of you to. Give Auto Action a big plug, plug, and uh, be so enthusiastic about it. Not hearing much from Tony. I, I don't know. You're probably not good at reading, are you, Tony? I'm still learning, <laughs> uh, but I <laughs> still learning. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, well, no, you'll I... have to learn quickly, mate. You're part of the media now. Hey, <laughs> no, juggling, I, juggling I media and driving. How good? Yeah, yeah, it is a bit tricky at times. Um, I absolutely do love auto action though. And 
I always remember the back pages uh, when I was growing up. Always love watching, you know, seeing the photos on the back pages. Um, and I was the same. Every time it would come out, I'd be one of the first to grab it. So good work keeping it alive because there's not as many magazines as we know uh, are still around and are still popular. So well done to you guys that are behind the scenes, getting it done each week, uh, getting all the content together. Good work keeping it alive. Good work keeping yourself alive. All this love is really now starting to make me ill. That was, no, that was a massive sledge. That was a... I may now die of a different disease. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for joining us on Parked no, Up. Good on you, lads. Doing a good job. Thanks. See ya. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Wow, that was a really cool chat, that one. We sort of got into some of the nitty-gritty and some of the cool guests that or athletes that he's interviewed. I mean, Ian Senna, bloody hell. I mean, that's, that's pretty damn cool. Yep. Um, yeah, multiple times as well. Fogue spent a lot of time uh, overseas interviewing all of the big stars, and not just in motor racing as well. As he touched on, he's done quite a bit of tennis, mm. um, uh, golf as well. So uh, you were a, worldly, actually, a worldly character. You were telling me a little bit of a story about the Senna Yeah, uh, so Mark Fogarty asked the question that starts the Senna film, Mm -hmm. asking uh, where he asked, and and I I don't know the exact question that is used, and I can't recall the actual quote, but Mark asks Etten Senna about what what was his greatest rival. And I, I suppose everyone was really expecting him to say someone like Prost, someone like Mansell, one of the contemporary stars. But he brought up how karting was the fiercest rivalries and and best racing that he'd ever had. Uh, Pure pure racing, I think, was his quote. And he talked about Terry Fullerton being the person that was his fiercest rival during his, his time in karting. It's... It was a uh, it was a very popular uh, quote at the time, mm-hmm. but it uh, the movie sort of brought it to uh, to the infamy that it that it is now. So, uh, for I'm sure most of our listeners have have watched the Senna movie, a fantastic documentary on um, his r- rise and demise. Mm-hmm. I, I guess um, you could you could say. Look, I think all, it's safe to say that all our listeners who are motorsport fans would have watched, would have listened to it or also watched it. I found that chat pretty interesting, though, because Fogues is a guy that, you know, he's not going to piss in our pocket, you know, and he was genuinely excited about S5000, TCR, and what ARG have done with uh, the Shannon's National, Nationals Championship. And as you mentioned in the chat, like, he probably has never been to a Shannon's National event before. No, and that's not discrediting the Shannon's Nationals as it was before ARG came in, but it just didn't have anything that folks didn't have the draw card. Yeah, it wouldn't have. Had, it didn't have anything he, that, that he would be send, in, need need to cover. He'd send uh, the young bloke, the the intern, uh, to go and cover the story. So it's a it's a bit of a, a big tick for ARG to get somebody like folks to come and cover it and enjoy it, you know, and. I had to bribe him with a whole bunch of uh, beer and good food I'm and a sure nice you bed. to start with, but to see him come to other rounds, uh, you know, he obviously enjoyed it. And uh, it's a bit of a credit to ARG and what they've done and the vision they've had. 
and to some for somebody like that to actually see that and get excited about it, I think he's fantastic. So good times, good times. He he generally just lives in supercar land, and uh, you know maybe he's seeing the excitement around uh, what ARG are doing, and I suppose what opportunities it gives other you know, younger drivers or drivers in different stages of their career. Well, there you go. What an what an episode! Three great uh, interviews that yep. we were able to do, TD. And before we leave, yeah. let's announce the three. Uh, yes. No, four people. We're giving away four uh, gift packs yes. from your good friends, my good friend, Evolve Driving. That's it, Dean Samet from Evolve Driving. As I mentioned last week, has kindly given us. Now I actually stuffed this up last week, and he let me know about it. I tell you, I said that you got a T-shirt a drink bottle and a cap. It's actually a bag with Evolve branding on it, a cap and a drink bottle. Okay, so sorry, sorry Dino for stuffing that up, but uh, that is the prize and it is a fantastic prize and we thank Dino for coming on board as our first sponsor. Yeah, first free stuff, free stuff. So yeah, thank you Evolve. Plug, though. Go for we it. We have to give him a plug. Yeah, do it. Check out Evolve Driving. If you wanna take your car, your personal car out on the track, and go to some of these iconic circuits around the country, everywhere, up to Bathurst. Oran Park? Maybe not Oran Park, no. Uh, Winton, Phillip Island, Tail and Bend, Bathurst, you name it, Dino takes his crew there. Uh, and it gives you opportunity to have coaching, so one-on-one coaching uh, with lots of guys and girls. We've got Chelsea, we've got Ricky Capo, myself, uh, Jake Foraker, a lot of guys and girls that you will know uh, if you you like your motorsport, Stephen White as well. He's a regular. Oh, the white dog. Yeah, the white dog. Actually, he might be a good one to get on. Yeah, the show I like next. the white dog. Yeah, we always might. got along really well with yeah. him. He's always had uh, time for really time for the media. Good story to tell, white dog. Okay, All cool. Right, we'll get, we'll we try can and get, get him on. We can get him on. Anyway, if you want to get your car out on the track, visit Evolve Driving, and book on. And come and spend some time with us. We'll show you the correct lines to go around the circuit. We'll have a good time in your own car. And, uh, you know, you can get as close as you want to some of uh, Australia's best race circuits. Yeah, cool. I can't wait to take my Nissan Pathfinder out onto the track. We don't discriminate, mate. Whatever. Great. Okay, so uh, Evolve Driving gave us four gift packs to give away. And but we I've have, taken one. And we have four. We no, have We've got four winners, uh, Donald, Adam, Brett, and Ian. We are going to send you a whole bunch of cool free stuff. So they are cool prizes, and congratulations to those four people who have secured them. The guys at Evolve Driving are going to send those out. So congratulations. Thanks for your support. This week's prize, it's a big one. It's something that people have been asking for. They keep seeing Aaron Noonan and our crew on the broadcast and they see the shirt that he's wearing, the ARG shirt. It's got all the TCR, TCM and all those other things. We're going to give away one of those. So check out the the Facebook page. You're not getting my jacket. That's a nice jacket. It keeps me warm. You check out the parked up, podcast facebook page we'll put a photo up there and you tell us why you'd like to win that t-shirt that's an awesome prize grant and then you can uh act like aaron noonan and commentate the car sales arg esport cup next week 
Um, and if you're better, we? and if you're better than Aaron, then you can come and take the uh, take his role. He will love that. Well, you're always looking for a co-commentator, though. Yeah, cool. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, yep. maybe. Maybe. Look, we're just talking shit. <laughs> Look, we're just uh, getting off track here once again. Next next week, we're going to Silverstone in Formula 3 cars. Catch that on Thursday, 8 p.m., live and exclusive on all of your Facebooks and your YouTubes. Tony D., we look forward to watching you uh, belt around the Silverstone circuit mm. and just a little parked up plug it was great to see the Did little like parked that? up sticker ask you. that was awesome yeah. parked up sticker on his sponsor board amazing yeah, sponsor amazing board, and then i put one a bit closer as well so i you saw the really sneaky see it. do you know i had a friend of mine maurice from western ford those guys you know, you know good enough to give me a car he sent me a text saying i want the parked up stickers get some made for me you beauty we, we, we might get a few made up and actually give them away as prizes as well what do you reckon yeah sure let's go all right let's do that you're gonna if you win if you uh, enter this week's draw to win the t-shirt, you'll also get a parked up sticker. It hasn't even been made yet. No, but we'll our, have, our good we'll, friends at MotoSign, Matthew Adams, he will supply the stickers <laughs> free of charge, and we'll plug his business to our thousands of uh, listeners as well. He amazing. doesn't know this just yet, but he's very good to me. So uh, we'll organise that. Until next week, TD. Stay safe, mate. Like, just stay away from the virus. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs>